Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Well, welcome to episode number 21 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is a podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and on today's episode, we are going to continue our series on three steps on how you can study the Bible. Let's dive in. In the previous episode, we began a three-part series on how you can study the Bible. It's three steps or three questions that you can ask every time you come to the Word of God. Last time, we talked about step number one or question number one, which is this idea of observation. So every time I come to the Word, I'm to ask the question, what does the text say or what do I see? Now, I'm not making an interpretation. I'm not trying to apply it to my life. I'm merely asking, what is going on in the text? I mentioned three things last time that, that we're to observe like. We're to observe like a journalist. In other words, we're to ask a lot of questions. We're to observe like a detective, which means we look for those patterns and similarities and repetition and keywords. And number three, we observe like someone buying a house. In other words, we see what's going on in the passage in light of the context. Now, again, the first step is the step of observation. And as I already mentioned, the majority of your time is going to be spent here in the observation stage. Now, as I begin to do all these observations and as I ask great questions and I'm looking up answers and I'm trying to really seek out what the passage is saying, then I can move on to step number two, which is interpretation. Now, here's the question that we ask in the midst of interpretation. We're asking the question, what does the passage mean? What does it mean? Now, here's what's something that's really important. I'm not asking, what does it mean to me? I'm asking, what does this passage mean or what did it mean to the original audience? See, Paul, to use our example in Philippians chapter 2, was not writing to Nathan in 21st century America. See, he's writing to a specific group of people in a particular historical setting in a particular context. Now, the truth obviously is still going to apply to my life, but before we get to that point, we must ask ourselves, what was Paul saying in this passage to those in Philippi? Or if you're reading, the, uh, say, the book of Joshua, what is Joshua articulating in this passage to this group of individuals 
who just spent 40 years wandering the wilderness. So again, it's really, really important to ask the question, what does it mean? But not, what does it mean to me? I'm asking, what does it mean to the original audience? Now, what we're looking for in this interpretive stage is the concept or the truth nugget or what I often call the gold nugget. See, I'm looking for what was the author saying to the original audience? What's that? What's the concept? So as I'm doing all these observations and I'm, I'm making all these questions, what begins to bubble forth out of that is, is this idea or this concept or this truth. And when you step back, you go, whoa, that is a powerful truth. Now, more often than not, that truth can be applied to any person throughout any point in history. But it's vital that as I'm studying the Bible, I'm asking the question, hey, not what it means to me, but what was the author saying to his audience? But what, what's the truth nugget behind that? So let's, let's go to our passage in Philippians chapter 2 and investigate it just a little bit more. Now, last time we began, we, we had some observations from Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. And I'm not going to review those. You can listen to the previous episode and get those if you like. But let me just read Philippians 2, 5 afresh so at least we have it in our mind. Paul writes this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I mentioned previously there's some translations that will translate it, Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, last time we, as I already mentioned, we, we were walking through a variety of observations but let me just kind of flesh this out a little bit further. As we're making these observations, again, it's really important to be asking ourselves, hey, what was Paul saying to those in Philippi? Now, again, it's really important to see it in light of the context. So let's just do some quick contextual review. Now, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul is telling us, hey, this is how you are to live with the people around you. He says stuff like, in verse 2, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. So again, there's that same idea of having the same mind. He says, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness or humility of mind, esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So he's, he's laying a foundation then. He's, he's saying, hey, you're to have the same mind. You're to live in this. Hey, as you're, as you're living in community, as you're, as you're living in this uh, with, with the body of Christ, hey, I want you to have the same joy, same love, same mind, same attitude. In fact, you are to take the low position and esteem others better than yourself. And then he comes thundering into verse 5, and he says, let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then out of that, in verses 6, 7, and 8, he begins to establish what the mind of Christ looks like. And he says stuff like, even though, verse 6, even though Jesus was God, it, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, well, because he is God. But, verse 7, he made himself of no reputation, and he took the form of a servant. And coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now you can see that the mind of Christ that Paul is exhorting us to have in verse 5, as, as he lays it out in verses 6, 7, and 8, has this idea of humility, has the idea of, of uh, hey, not taking for yourself, but stooping in, into the low position and humbling and being obedient and, and facing, facing difficulty and persecution. And yes, even 
even the cross. Now, doesn't that sound like what Paul just said in verses 1 through 4? Now, in in 6 through 8, he's saying this is the mind of Christ that you're to have. But he already gave us an insight of what that mind of Christ looks like lived out in the body of Christ within the church. Listen just to some of this and just see the similarity of verses 1 through 4 to that of 6 through 8. Listen to this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility of mind esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Isn't that what Jesus did? He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself and he became obedient even to the point of death upon a cross. Now, smack dab right in the middle of this whole thing, verse 5, Paul says, let this mind or attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what was Paul saying to those in Philippi? Now, if you were to take your observations that I encourage you to do from last time, as well as the stuff that we walked through in the previous episode, I want to kind of bring all that together and ask the question, what then does this mean? Now, again, we're not asking what does this mean to us here in the 21st century, We're asking the question, what was Paul saying to those in Philippi? Now, I mentioned the last episode that I kind of give you the peek in of what this word mind or attitude means. I mentioned previously that that if you were to look up this word in the Greek, it's really exciting to find out that it's in the present tense, the passive voice, and the imperative mood. And I mentioned if you didn't know what those are, you could look them up. But let me explain them really quick because it's really helpful in our understanding of this passage. Now, it's in the imperative mood, and an imperative is a command. In other words, I am commanded to have the mind of Jesus. Oh, isn't that awesome? That Paul looks at Paul looks at those in Philippi and says, Hey, I'm commanding you, have the mind of Christ. Now, it's in the present tense, uh, which means that in, in the Greek, it's, it's kind of strong in the sense that anytime it's present, you're to have this. So, is this for five years from now? Well... Yes, of sorts, when that becomes present, then yes, I'm to have it. But if I'm to look at this, anytime I'm living in the present, which by the way, you're always living in the present, then I am commanded, according to Paul, to have the mind of Christ. So here's Paul, he's looking at those in in Philippi and says, look, every time that you're in the present, hey, you, I'm commanding you, have the mind of Christ. Now here's what's really powerful. It's in the passive voice. Uh, In the English, we often have active and passive. Um, Active voice, the classic illustration is the boy hit the ball. See, the boy who's the subject of the sentence is doing the action. What is the boy doing? He's hitting the ball. He, he, He grabs the bat. He's the one doing the action. He swings and wow, hits the ball. That's active voice. Now, passive voice means that the subject is not doing the action, the subject receives the action. So again, classic illustration, but active voice, the boy hit the ball, passive voice, the ball hit the boy. That the boy, the subject, is receiving the action and he is being hit by the ball, that the ball hits him. Well, what does that mean for our passage? Oh, get this. Paul's looking at those in Philippi saying, Hey guys, I'm telling you that you, I'm commanding you every time that you're in the present, that you are to allow him to give you his mind. 
See, if it was active voice, it would mean, hey, you guys go out there, you accomplish this, you buckle down, grit your teeth, and you have the mind of Christ. But that's not what Paul's saying. See, what Paul's saying is, hey, every time that you're in the present tense, hey, I'm commanding you, allow yourself to be infiltrated by his mind. Receive the action of his mind. In other, words, uh, in other words, open yourself up and allow him to give you his mind. Now, the word for mind or attitude here is the Greek word phroneo. And what's interesting is the reason why some translations will translate it mind and some will translate it attitude is that the idea of phroneo, yes, it could be your mental idea of your mind. It could be the, the expression of your, your, uh, your affections and feelings and attitude and that kind of stuff. But it really has the idea, when you do a search of this idea of phroneo, it really has the idea of the encompassing or the totality or the direction of your life. It's, it's the fullness of who you are. In other words, is it your mind? Well, yes, it is. Is it your attitude? Well, yeah, yeah of course it is. But it's, it's the whole orientation of your life. So, so get what Paul's saying here. He says, hey, you people in Philippi, you Philippians, I am commanding you every time it's in the present that, that hey, you, hey, would you allow Christ to give you his, yes, his mind, yes, his attitude, but would you allow Jesus to give you his whole orientation of living? Hey, would you, would you allow Christ to be so big in your life that the whole orientation, the whole bent of your, of your very being, all of your focus, all of your affections, hey, hey, your attitude and your mind and, and, and your, hey, everything about your life, hey, would you have not your own, but Christ's? Hey, would you allow him to give you his life? Isn't that powerful? Well, what does his life look like? Well, Paul says, let me tell you. Oh, he takes no reputation. He takes the form of a servant. He humbles himself. He becomes obedient and he dies upon a cross. Paul says, I want you to have that. He said, well, what does that look like lived out in my community? Paul goes, oh, I just told you about that in verses one through four. He says, hey, don't do anything through selfish ambition. Hey, don't be self-centered. Don't be inward focused. But hey, in humility of mind, hey, Look at everyone around you as more important than yourself. Do you realize that's how Jesus behaved? Jesus was constantly outward focused saying, how can I meet your needs? How can I pour my life out for you? Hey, how can I roll up my sleeves and wash your feet? See, Jesus was constantly doing that. And Paul says you are to have the mind of Christ, which means what? Oh, don't consider yourself better than everybody else. Hey, take the low position, esteem others better than yourself. In fact, Verse four, don't just look out for your interests, but look out for the interests of others. It's a powerful, powerful passage. So again, the whole idea here in Bible study is that step one observation, I'm asking the question, what does the passage say? I'm asking questions. I'm looking at the words and if, if I can do word studies or if I can do some grammar stuff, that's really helpful. But I'm, I'm asking the question, what's going on in the passage? I'm, I'm just stepping back and allowing the word to speak for itself. Again, I don't want to come to the word with with uh, with ideas or my own bent or my own theological lens as much. And I know this is almost impossible to do, do it in the full sense. But see, I want the word of God to speak clearly to me. I don't want to bring my own interpretation into the word. I want the word to like, give me the truth of the passage. 
So I come to the word, I'm looking at the word, and I begin to ask the question, what does it say? I'm looking at things, I'm studying the context, I'm walking through some word studies, and in the midst of that, what you're going to begin to find is this, this bubbling forth of a truth, a concept. Now again, this is not so much a science thing where it's like one, two, three. Um, it's more artsy in that sense. It's, it's that blend of art and science where, yeah, there's steps, but when do you move from one to the next? Ah, I don't know. But see, somehow in the midst of the study process, as you're doing all these observations, then somehow this truth begins to bubble forth. And I begin to ask the question, what is Paul saying here? What, what, what was he saying to the original audience? Well, what does this thing mean? And again, when we look at our example in Philippians chapter 2, it appears that Paul is saying, hey, dump your own self-interest. Hey, don't be inward focused. Hey, hey, don't get so wrapped up in you and your life. Dear Philippians, I am commanding you, I'm commissioning you, I'm exhorting you that every moment of your life, hey, every time it's in the present, I am commanding you that, hey, you are to have the phroneo of Jesus, that you are to have the mind, the attitude, the, the orientation of living. Now, again, this is not something you go out and you try to have in and of yourself. This isn't, hey, WWJD kind of stuff. This isn't, hey, flick rubber bands and to grit your teeth and take cold showers. This is, hey, this is passive voice here. Paul says, dear Philippians, would you, would, you just, would you allow him to give you his heart? Would you allow him to give you his mind? Would you allow Jesus to give you his attitude? Would you allow Jesus to give you his orientation of living? What does that look like? Oh, verses 1 through 4 and verses 6 through 8. Now, again, that's the interpretive stage. Now, next time, we're going to finalize this whole thing and get to the third step where we're actually applying it into our lives. But until then, I, I just want you to sit and soak on this idea. In fact, if you've been walking through this study process with us in Philippians, then I encourage you, begin to walk through that passage again in Philippians chapter 2, primarily verses 1 through 8, but you could go down to verse 11, and focus on verse 5. What, what is Paul saying to those in Philippi. Now, obviously, I walked through that already, but just just ingrain that in your ingrain that in your mind. Again, my desire is that you would aggressively go after Jesus through the study of His Word. God wants to reveal Himself to you. He is speaking. He's He's thumping you on your forehead. He's yelling in your ear, and He's doing that through His Word. So, can I just encourage you, whether it's Philippians or some other spot in Scripture? Would you take time this week to really go after him? Lay yourself before God and just say, Jesus, hey, would you, the author, reveal yourself to me through the pages of your word? And again, in the next episode, we're going to be looking at step three and how do you take all this stuff and actually apply it into your life? And as a reminder, for show notes of this episode, which includes articles about the same concept and other helpful resources, including the cheat sheet, that I mentioned last week on how to have great observations, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 21 for episode number 21. Now, I know I've said this in the past, but if you've enjoyed this podcast thus far, would you do me a huge favor and leave a ratings and review on iTunes? It really is a tremendous blessing to myself and Deeper Christian as a whole because iTunes uses these star ratings and reviews as a way to get the podcast in front of other people. So if you think others should hear this podcast, then I would encourage you to take just 30 seconds out of your time and go to the ratings and review section of this podcast on iTunes. 
And if you need a link, there's a link in the show notes. Again, that's deeperchristian.com forward slash 21. Now, until next time, know that I am cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.